I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Bring, bring it bring it to the bank. Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, I'm Russ Golden, host of Cottage Talk, a podcast all about Fulham. You can actually follow me on X at Cottage Talk and also find my podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Good to be with you again, Kevin. Hi, guys. Uh, my name's Steve McGookin, a long-time and long-suffering Spurs fan based in Belfast. Uh, in a previous life, I was the chairman of the New York Spurs Supporters Club. And hi, everyone. Uh, my name's Thomas Buff. I'm the editor of wallsblog.com, a website dedicated to Wolverhampton Wonders Football Club. And you can uh, you can obviously find me at wallsblog.com or on the social media site formerly known as Twitter, at wallsblog. Thanks so much for joining me today, you guys. Um, I wanted to start off, we're, we're a little bit late, but I wanted to start with the uh, sin bin idea, especially since Russ and I are both on, and it's kind of trying to borrow, I think, from ice hockey, so we might get to that in a bit. Um, but I, I'm sure people have started to hear by now, the official rules haven't all come out yet. That's probably going to come out the first week of March or so. Um, but the basic version is, as you get blue cards, you'd be removed from the pitch for a certain amount of time. I think they're trialing it at 10 minutes. Um and I remember pretty early on in the show, which we are now in our 10th year, so that was, that was some time ago, we were talking about maybe having like this, an, an intermediate step between being automatically sent off. Uh, I think they kind of solved some of that issue by getting rid of the double jeopardy, where you could do a penalty and get a red card at the exact same moment. Um, but anyway, I was just curious what you guys thought of this idea that's been kind of kicked around of late. Well... My thought on this, and I thought of hockey right away when I heard the idea, is I guess I'll put it to you this way. We were talking off air, and uh, we were mentioning that, you know, the tactical foul part of this, I could see why this could seriously help in that regards, because I don't like them either. I don't like dissent. I just don't like it being 10 minutes if that's going to be what it's going to be and what that means to the team that's down a man. I think it's going to become a real difficult type of game for those 10 minutes. They're going to just try to buckle down and see it out until the man can come back on. I'm just concerned how it's going to change the game, but I understand why it's being introduced. I just don't like what I'm hearing so far about it. If they're trying to get rid of something, I think maybe they should rethink it a little bit about the length of time. Ten minutes, I think, is a long time, but I just I'm fearful of of how it's going to change the game. We already have VAR as an issue. 
So now you're going to add this to it. I think it might be too much. That's just my opening thoughts on that. Yeah, I, I, I don't think fundamentally changing the flow of the game is a good idea, um, especially because the only reason for it seems to be that <clears throat> referees and players alike seem to have lost the plot on on what should be the the consistent application of what should be covered by the existing red and yellow cards. Um, I mean, if the new card is primarily to address abuse of officials, which seems to be the, the blanket explanation, but I understand it's, it also covers cynical fouls, then the problem surely is with how the existing cards are employed, not introducing another category, which would create an even bigger gray area or you know, blue area, I suppose. Hmm. And, and and another another element of confusion. I mean, just just the proposed combination of the cards. Um, as I understand it, if you get a blue and then another blue, or a combination of a yellow and a blue, it's the same as a red. Hmm. So that basically just means that a blue is the equivalent of a yellow. Isn't that right? <laughs> is that is that how it seems to be interpreted? Uh, I believe and, so. But from a color perspective, I believe that would make green. <laughs> Very good, very good. But and, and it also, you know, it's as as Russ I think hinted at. It seems to be self defeating, in that if you can give someone a yellow card for time wasting, you're only going to encourage time wasting. <laughs> if there's a literal, you know, countdown to when a sin bin player can can come back onto the field. But you know, I suppose we're at the point now where you know the regulators want to want to have this debate and go through this debate process. And again, and you know, if you if you look at the other sports uh, that are most often cited uh, on on sin bins, I mean rugby and hockey. You know, you mentioned hockey, Russ. Yeah. What does it What does it mean that a different What it, or what it What it does mean What it does mean I think is that a different set of skills then becomes in use during a sin bin period. Uh, and yes, it encourages it encourages a team that might be ahead to be more defensive. It makes you know, like the role of hockey defenseman, more crucial in killing a penalty, for example. Uh, and it also then encourages a team that might be an underdog to go all out for a short period where they have a man advantage. Um, so in a way, I don't see how that makes the game more boring, which some people have said, or ruins it as a spectacle. But I, I do think that if it's introduced, it has to be to address a gap in the existing disciplinary process uh, and, you know, Spurs manager Ange Postacoglu famously came out very strongly against it, um, against the idea early on. But I think I think you really you have to start by asking not what effect it's going to have on how the game's played, but why do we need this? It just seems to me that the most important thing is to strive for some greater consistency in interpreting and using the cards that we do have before we... Um, before we muddy the waters by introducing a whole new penalty. Yeah, I mean, I I probably agree with all that. I think the worry would be more the implementation than the actual rule itself, because the refs, the officials are having you know major problems with with the VAR technology already. So if you start adding blue cards and sim bins and people off the pitch for field you, you know it can create chaos in a game can't it you can just well imagine that those things stack up in a couple of games and it just feels like a pantomime you know it's um that's not what and, and i think the kind of traditionalist 
view on on football is is that we want it to be free flowing you know that's what makes it great and i think you know the the kind of stop start nature um and you know i'm i'm probably going to get lynched for saying this but the kind of americanization of like the english game you know because it you know it's not like you know basketball american football baseball these sports that reset quite often um they, that's what i think a lot of people rally against you know they they want it to be more but I mean, I suppose you know the argument for it is: are there are there incidents in games that warrant more than a yellow and yes and less than a red? Um, and I think the answer to that is probably yes. You, you do see that. And I, as I said off air, um, I think the obvious instance is when someone's deliberately pulled back. You know, you, you see a player break through the lines, and then you see the arm come out on the shoulder, and they pull them back. No attempt to get the ball, and then you you feel like, well, that was a really good opportunity um, to attack. And then that's been shut down deliberately and it's at the expense of a yellow card. And everyone just says, well, he took one for the team and everyone, you know, wipes their face and gets on with it. But it is, uh, you know, a major source of frustration for me. I remember a few years ago um, having a Dharma Traore um, and, and it was actually, again, it was a, funnily enough, it was a game against Tottenham and, and they just took it in turns to just pull him down to the ground. He must have been, it must have been about five or six different players spreading around yellow cards um, just so he couldn't get into the game, um, and, and and those things you think, well, that's not really enough, you know, that 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 felt like a sense of injustice. So it, for that one specific um, incident, I would be all for um, because I don't think it interrupts the game if it's a deliberate pullback like that. To just you don't have to issue a blue card, you blow the whistle, say it's a foul, and say right, you deliberately pulled him back, off you go, just ten minutes on the sideline, and then that other team is disadvantaged as they should be for for a short period of time. Um, and it, it, you know what it will do. It will wipe. You know we're worried about, um, you know how it will impact the game. But then the, the players will just have to stop doing it. That's what we want ultimately. We want to wipe out, the, you know, deliberate fouls that that don't need to happen in the game. And if the yeah. if you know if the punishment is better, you know, and it's sufficient, then hopefully you never even need to see a blue card because it you know <laughs> rules it out. So I mean, there's there's certainly a theory there, and and I think it's worth having the discussion. But I do agree. Um, you know, I, I if they brought it in at the start of next season or whatever, I would worry that it's going to overwhelm overwhelm the the refs. And I think there's already a feeling we need to unpick some of the mm-hmm. some of what we're seeing already with, with the technology. So um, yeah, it's uh, I've got I've got kind of a mixed view, but I don't think I'm as dismissive of it as perhaps a lot of other people are. Mm. Yeah, um, a couple of really interesting points that were made there. Uh, one, obviously, in the blue card language, like you guys said, part of it was supposed to be for dissent. But weren't players supposed to be getting yellow cards for dissent this year anyway? Right. That was a rule right. change coming into this year. And just because the refs have implemented it poorly doesn't mean that we need a new <laughs> thing for them to potentially implement just as poorly. Because where's the confidence that it would be handled well, which I think some of you uh, definitely touched on there. Um, but, uh, Thomas, you also gave me a very lovely segue, uh, if it's okay, Russ, back to you talking about kind of the Americanization of this, because this is a, a thing I've, I've definitely been thinking about, which is it does feel like an Americanization of football, but uh, Russ, we are Americans and we don't like this. So kind of like, no. who is the who is this pleasing? I don't know. That's the question. I don't understand who would really want that. I understand what Thomas is saying. I, I like what Thomas had brought to the table about these tactical fouls. I would like them eradicated but the same way i would like simulation eradicated and that is still going on i hope that that would deter people from 
the tactical fouls, but I also thought it, this would also happen with something else that bothers me. But I do feel that this is an Americanization of a game I love, and I don't want it. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think it's needed. But I understand where it is being talked about, why it's being talked about, because the scent and then, of course, the tactical fouls are issues. But I just don't like that it feels like they are taking from, say, hockey, like like we're talking about. And they're trying to say, okay, well, we're going to try to find a middle ground. And my thought are just screw the middle ground. You know, leave it the way it is. And then maybe, like I said, you know, I don't know. I, maybe there isn't a solution without this, as Thomas is saying. Maybe this would deter. I just, I have my doubts on that. And I just think it's going to affect the flow of the game. And that's, I think, my number one concern. Maybe, maybe I'll be wrong, but I, I'm worried about the flow of the game. I love the way the game is. It's bad enough we have these long situations with VAR. Now you're going to add this to the table? That, to me, is a little too much. Yeah. And and not to get too far into ice hockey, because I'm not sure if there is a big middle part of a Venn diagram of people that listen to the show and also watch NHL or, or ice hockey. Um, but uh, the concept of the penalty box, um, not the one in this sport, uh, is that when there are egregious fouls, then somebody has to go off the ice for a while. But then also you can make adjustments. You can con- You can continually rotate players so right. you can bring on a, pen, a penalty kill line to putting on all your defenders trying to make sure that they aren't able to score while they have a man advantage and then obviously the team that is trying to score has a power play line where all of a sudden you have some of your best uh tagging players and so that element if they are pulling from ice hockey although steve you did mention rugby which i'm far less versed in um if you're borrowing from a sport like this but you remove the possibility for teams to adjust to what is happening personnel-wise, I think you're going to have a much rougher time because, uh, Steve, you brought up Anj Pasakoglu's quotes. He was, as you said, very uh, against it, but he was just saying it's going to kill the game for 10 minutes. But you're going to have, you know, five or six attacking players on the pitch as you're trying to prevent the other team from scoring, even though they have a man advantage. Is that really going to help you? Conversely, can you bring on more attacking players? just for those 10 minutes, like you said, with smaller clubs, but then they need to readjust after those 10 minutes. But once the player's off the pitch, they're off the pitch. They can't be brought back on again. People probably are aware of that. Um, but <laughs> but it just raises all these like weird issues of like how are you going to handle it personnel-wise? And I don't think it would reduce the uh, amount of interesting tactics. I think there's loads of ways you could try to address this, but it's like kind of creating a problem and then there might be creative solutions to that problem when you could adju- just avoid the whole thing altogether. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally think that's right. And we have a situation, I think, as, as Thomas said, um, that at the end of the day, what we want to do is, is wipe out these offenses to begin with. But surely there's a way we can do that within the existing disciplinary structure. And, you know, that comes down to an understanding on both sides, both the official side and the players and managers side, of what will be tolerated and what won't. Uh, and as I said, it, it sounded like when they were introducing the concept of the blue card that it was going to be primarily targeted at dissent. And that that's well and good, but you know, as you said, Kev, you know, dissent is supposed to be 
covered by the existing structure. Yeah, I mean, I, it's, I, I don't think it, I don't think that's seriously on the horizon. To be honest, I think I think the Premier League would would rally against it. I think it, I just think it's too much madness. Um, that I think what you've seen um, recently, actually, what I, one thing I've noticed in recent weeks is that the VAR um, is is responding a lot quicker to things. I don't know if anyone else picked up on that in like the recent games. Yeah. Um, it seems to be that they're going there and they're getting it done quicker. And I think the referees have decided in a kind of subtle way that they're going to alter tact um, to see if they get a better result. And actually, I think it's working because the decisions come and go that much quicker. And because they're not dwelling on it, there's not so much discussion about it, if that makes sense. Whereas if they... Yeah. If they're constantly rewind, forward, rewind, slowing everything down, then everyone's looking at every decision in microscopic level. Whereas, you know, we're kind of getting faster resolution of, of problems today. There was in the in the Sheffield United Brighton game, I don't know anyone saw that. Um, there was a horrendous tackle on Matoma and the ref gave a yellow. Jeez, and yeah. then before they'd even finished showing the replay, he'd been sent to the screen. He he looked at the screen, went straight back on, and issued the red card, and the whole thing was done within about fifteen seconds. And it was like, well, that's that's correct implementation of how it should have been all along. So, I think that you know that they're altering, they are altering tact. And just just to go back to the point on um, dissent um, as well, and these kind of other things that might come as blue card. It, I think one one of the points I would make is um, they've shown this season that they can change these kind of annoying little things that players do through action because uh one of the rules they brought in this season was if you manipulate the ball after a foul's given against your team it's an instant yellow card yeah. so it stops players standing in front of the ball to to block you know quick free kicks or um you know moving the ball away so the team can't gain an advantage and and that has just worked perfectly you, you know you're no longer getting players doing that because they know they, they're going to get an instant yellow card so um you know, I think I think as as much as we we kind of dwell on the the poor sides and the poor aspects of the refereeing, sometimes there are little wins that that maybe we don't give the officials you know the credit they deserve in, in those instances because I think that that has definitely been a positive this season, um, and I think there are signs now, as I say, that they're they're adapting to uh, to the VAR perhaps a little bit better, so there might be some light at the end of the tunnel there, and um, and and perhaps you know we we, we probably need to sort of you know, zoom out, take our emotions out of our own games a little bit and, and maybe, um, you know, take a little bit more of a scientific view of it. Um, mm. But uh, but yeah, we, we, we'll see what happens with the old uh, the blue cards. Nice. Well, we will take that uh, positive energy um, <laughs> and move on to the next topic, uh, which is, I suppose, less positive, actually. Uh, West Ham have lost their last three Premier League matches with a goal difference of negative 11, haven't scored over that stretch. Their last win was in 2023, which isn't particularly ideal. And this is leading to a lot of momentum for the Moyes out movement. Obviously, uh, there was some signage in the ground yesterday to that effect. Uh, and I was just curious your, your thoughts on him. Obviously, uh, was able to win a trophy with them last season. Uh, do we think he should be given more time to, tur to turn things around? And do we think he will be given that time, even if we think he should? Well, that's two different questions. So let's start Fair. with number one. And that would be his situation. I'll start with his situation. Do I think that he will survive this? No, I, I think that they will move on from him. And I don't think, in my opinion, number two would be is I wouldn't do it. I'm just a loyal kind of guy, and uh, they won a trophy with him last year. He's a good coach. They're, 
this club goes through these ups and downs. This is the way I think West Ham have been for a while. And uh, listen, I've seen them play well this season. Then I've seen my club beat them 5-0. Then Arsenal beats them 6-0. So I don't know exactly what's going on with them because I don't watch them enough. But when I do watch them, I, they're basically up and down. They're, it's a roller coaster ride with this team, but I don't think that he's going to survive this. I can tell you, after talking to West Ham supporters last year, even with all that was done, they wanted him gone last year. They wanted Marco Silva, my coach, last year. So. To be honest with you, I'm scared of Moyes leaving because I think they might go after Marco Silva from being honest with you. But I would not doubt this because this is a, a very bad run of form. And I can tell you that the supporters want him out. And that's a tough road when you're a manager, when you have the support against you like this. We're, we saw it with Roy Hodgson and unfortunately what's going on with Roy Hodgson Physically, I feel terrible about that. But once you go down that road, you know, name a manager when the supporters go up against you, it more often than not goes against the manager. And I think this will go against Moyes. I wouldn't do it, though. But that's just me. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's right. It's it's the old story, you know, when a team hits a bad patch, the manager you know, ultimately bears the responsibility for turning it around. But, you know, there are always things going on off the pitch that we don't see. And particularly in the relationship between the manager and the board. Um, and Moy's statement yesterday that, you know, he flying his flag saying he'd been their best manager for years, or at least the only recent one to win silverware. I think all that did was just demonstrate how frustrated he is with, with everything that's going on at the moment. Um, but obviously, you know, for the fans, the only thing that matters and the only thing they're asking is, you know, where are we headed in the medium term and how do we turn around this current bad run uh, in, in the short term? I mean, Moyes has now equaled his longest winless streak at the club. Um, and, you know, even talking about, as he did yesterday, how they've beaten Chelsea, Man U, Arsenal and Spurs this year, that, that doesn't really matter when you're losing to teams below you in the table and like they did at Forest yesterday. And then obviously, you know, as, as Russ said, obviously when the, when the banners start appearing in the crowd, especially with the traveling fans who are uh, probably more hardcore and more, you know, uh, gung ho for, uh, for change, then it becomes, it becomes really difficult to change that kind of widespread perception. But, you know, we, we've been here before. We've talked about managers under pressure and, you know, should they be sacked, should they be given time? Um, the the process of actually replacing a mid-season involves, you know, figuring out who might be available and, and willing to replace them. Also, you know, the expense involved in buying out someone whose contract expires at the end of the summer anyway um, will, will obviously be a consideration. Uh, you know, Moyes himself, when you think about it, must must feel that, you know, whatever happens at West Ham uh, for the rest of this season, uh, it might it might be time for a fresh challenge for. Him. I mean, there was, you know, there was some talk of him going to Celtic when Brendan Rodgers got that job. So, um, you know, who knows how, how that all might play out. West, West Ham are one of those teams where, you know, they'll always look 
like a desirable target for an ambitious young manager, you know, who who might be seeking to climb climb the ladder. So, um, yeah, I mean, if Luton end up going down, Rob Edwards might turn out to be the sort of the sort of uh, attractive option, not just for West Ham but for plenty of other teams. So, you know, who who knows? I I don't think they're gonna I don't think they're gonna cut him loose um, before the end of the season only because his contract expires. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird old situation, that one at West Ham. Um, I think the thing you would say is that as a starting point is that West Ham are exactly in the position in the table where you would imagine West Ham would be, which is hovering just kind of above mid-table, sort of tickling the edges of the European competition. Um, so I think from a pure um, you know, expectation versus reality, if you'd said to West Ham supporters, where do you think you're going to be this season, particularly having sold Declan Rice, um, you know, their best player in the summer, I think they would have been reasonably satisfied with ninth. They would have kind of gone, yeah, that's kind of us. That That's where we are. They would obviously hope for better because, you know, all football supporters do. I think the thing is with with the West Ham sports, they just think we're, I imagine, again, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm overreaching here, but I feel like they think we're just a bit boring. You know, we're just a bit, we've had, we've had David Moyes for a couple of years now and, you know the football is what it is. It's not. It's not a brilliant watch. We don't feel like we're very progressive. Um, you know, it, it, do we want more and more years of this? Even if the even if the results are kind of okay and about you know average for what we would expect. Though so I just think they want to change um, for, from what they've been getting, and they're, and they're entitled to to want that in the, in the same way that you know the, the Tottenham fans had a couple of years of Mourinho and Conte, and I think a lot of you had probably decided. You know, I, I fancy some more entertaining football now, mm. please, because we've had some OK results. And again, we were probably sort of in and around the areas of the table we might expect to be. But it was a bit of a turgid watch. So, I mean, if anyone can relate to what's going on at West Ham, it should probably be the, you know, the Tottenham fans. So, you know, you've seen the impact that Apostas Oglu's, um, you know, had at Spurs. And I think West Ham might be looking at that. And even Gary O'Neill at Wolves, you know, he's come in and we kind of look a bit more of a entertaining prospects and maybe they they're, they're looking on the um you know the the nice side of it thinking we can, we can get a manager uh who who can maybe give us a little bit more belief that there's better ahead and a more attractive uh, product you know in a game to game basis but um you know the, the funny thing about it is they've obviously tried to replace David Moyes before haven't they because isn't his first stint as West Ham manager i think if I'm remembering correctly, he was there and he helped keep them up. And then they decided they were going to go another way. And I think, I think was that when they got, um, you know, the the, the former man, Sir Pellegrini, didn't they? And um, they, they've gone down that avenue before and it, and it didn't pan out for them. And they kind of had to go back with their begging hat. And, you know, David Moyes came in and kind of stabilised the ship again. So, and, and I think he kind of alludes to that. It's quite funny whenever he's questioned about his job, even yesterday after the Forest game, which was a you know, terrible performance, really, from what I deduced from the highlights. And, um, but he was saying, you know, the results have been pretty OK. And, you know, just remember, you know, there might be more attractive coaches than me, but I, I get the results. And, um, you know, he's got a point. You know, he's almost saying, well, go on then, you know, get rid of me and see if you actually do any better. And, you um, Yes, I mean, the, the owners are in a funny position because I think if you ask them and they were being entirely honest, they would say the same as what I said right at the top, which is, well, we're about where we expected to be. So yeah. 
why why would we take an action and and ultimately they might go well i don't we don't really care about what the <laughs> what the football is we care about the results retaining our position in the premier league and you know, and maybe we'll win the next two or three and then we're going to be back in the conversation for Europe and everyone's going to stop talking about David Moyes' job for another couple of months and we go again next season and maybe it'll be better. You know, I don't I don't necessarily think, you know, that, that he's right on the edge now because why would he be? If they wanted to get rid of him, they'd have got rid of him last season when he was in and around the bottom three for most of the year. So, yeah, I think the owners, it's... Uh, it's a funny one and I, I honestly don't know how it will go but I think if there is a resolution to it it will come in the summer I, I, I just think they're not going to do anything now there's just no point um, you know I think they, they're, they're where where it is for him is they're, they're going to be mid-table at the very worst they've already got 36 points on the board so might as well defer it to the summer and um, you know reconvene and, and it will be very amicable and if he does leave I think um you know, the West Ham fans have to look back and go, well, he did a good job. I mean, I don't think there's any other way of, of, of looking at it from what he inherited to where they are now. And, you know, with the trophy in the bank, um, that they'd have to look back and, and say he was, a, he was a good manager for West Ham. But, uh, yeah, certainly uh, an, an interesting one to, to monitor as we go into the summer. You make a really good point uh, <laughs> about the points. I hadn't realized, yeah, they're on 36 points. We, we did a whole thing about this last year, but... 38 is kind of the new year safe mark. So they're all went away from not even having to worry about that. And there are lots of clubs that are still dealing with all the profitability stuff. They could end up losing more points. So, yeah, I, I mean, to your point, what was the objective coming into the season? Obviously, they brought in some exciting players like Mohamed Kudus, who's terrific. And so maybe they were just expecting to see a more attacking style of play. But you sold Declan Rice in the summer. I, I assume that they were expecting to then suddenly launch up by turning one player into many good players. But Steve, uh, you and I know that that has not always gone super great. Um, so, yeah, you're going to stay in the Premier League. You're on the fringes of the European spot still. One point off Newcastle, two off Brighton. Obviously not winning for two months is not a good look. But uh, having already gotten that many points on the board does kind of change things. And I had not noticed that, so that's a great call out. Uh, okay, cool. We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back with club-specific questions for each of our guests. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. All right, and we are back. Russ, we'll start off with you talking about Fulham. And I wanted to lead in with Andreas Pereira. So he is great, in my personal opinion. Um, his counting stats aren't wowing people, though. So I feel like he's kind of getting lost in the shuffle of good attacking players in the Premier League. 
five assists on the year, which is fine. Top 20 in the Premier League, also good. But his chance creation has been terrific. Only six players have more chances created than he does. And I was noticing at Fulham that he has 22 more than Willian, who's in second place for your club. And that same gap is the same as Willian all the way down to 10th place, which is Harrison Reed. So he is driving your attack in a very meaningful way. Are you, I guess, kind of a two-parter. One, in which way does he present himself as kind of like the linchpin of your attack? And secondly, is there frustration that you have a player that's creating this many chances and this many of them aren't going into the back of the net? Wow, this is an interesting one because uh, I think this might surprise all three of you. I just did a show on Cottage Talk and I can tell you I get this conversation all the time when it comes to Andreas Pereira. I will tell you that Andreas Pereira is at his best when he plays with Raul Jimenez and Alex Wobi when they can do these triangles. Unfortunately, right now, Jimenez is probably going to be out for a while, and Wobi's coming back. He did play in the last match, but he came off the bench coming back from the African Cup of Nations. Andres Pereira is basically a player that home supporters want dropped. Yes, I said that. Want dropped. Andres Pereira in many matches, Kev, and and to the other other guys here, is has been a complete passenger. And I can tell you from the last match, I can't tell you how many conversations I have with people. What does he offer? What does he do, Russ? And I said, well, if I look at certain matches, like I mentioned, when he plays with certain players, he can really be a player that can help them. But there have been so many matches this season when he has simply been out there and you're asking yourself, what does he offer you? When I look at a player, you mentioned William. I know what William offers you because he has a tremendous influence on that left-hand side. With Pereira playing the number 10 role and floating around a little bit, I think when he plays with certain players, he can be influential. But when he does not, he goes missing. Then we talk about, well, he offers a lot on set pieces. And for the most of the season, his set piece, his set piece deliveries have not been the greatest. Some matches better than others, but he has not been the same player since last season. And I think Mitrovic being gone was a factor in this until he really worked that relationship with Jimenez and Awobi. I think then he became the player he was last season. But now it's reverted back to the player that we call a passenger for the majority of the season. So it's, it's an interesting question to talk about, a player to talk about, because stats say one thing. My eyes tell me something completely different, Kevin. Completely different. He has been a major disappointment for Fulham this season. That's really interesting. We, we have that conversation with Sun sometimes, that he doesn't actually impact the game except when he scores goals, but he scores so many goals that you can't really drop him out of the team. Is that kind and Pereira's of... not scoring goals. Right. He only has one on the season. But he's, in theory, giving you the most chances to score. And you're saying it doesn't particularly feel like that? It does not. I'm interesting. just telling That's you really interesting. it absolutely does not. And when I watch the matches and I'm talking to 
to fans that are at Craven Cars that are watching him regularly along with me. And again, they get even a closer view. I'm watching on television and we all come to the same conclusion. Where is Pereira? What does he offer us? Hmm. Interesting. Well, we'll certainly keep an eye on that throughout the season then uh, to see if those two things come a little bit more into line. If maybe he's kind of outperforming just in that one metric and that it'll kind of normalize to what you're perceiving as a performance level, or if more of them become goals, will people kind of be forced to see the value? But that is very interesting and not what I expected, but absolutely great thoughts from you there. Um, Steve, we'll come to you now to talk about Tottenham. And now we're going to talk about more players that I might be perceiving incorrectly. Um, (laughs) I feel that I and many other Spurs fans would say that we have a lot of talent in defense. Um, Poro has been incredible as a right back going forward and back being a huge creative outlet. Obviously, was sorely missed yesterday. (laughs) Then you have Romero, who people think incredibly highly of. Then you have Von Devend, who is the fastest 6'5 human I've ever heard of. Uh, unless you say Bolt's that high, in which case, <laughs> addendum. Um, and then you have Adogu, who I think has, has all the makings to be one of the best left backs in the world. Yet, we haven't kept a clean sheet since December 15th. And I feel like a lot of Spurs fans are starting to get frustrated with how many goals we're conceding. Oh, and also we think that Vicario was a great signing and is our goalkeeper of the future. So do you think that it is a misunderstanding of the talent levels of some of these players? Do you think it is our play style inherently relying on being played in transitions? And that just means that we will be facing more opportunities at the back end that'll inherently lead to more goals? Is it a midfield control issue? Why do you think we think all of these players are so good and Ange as a manager is so good, but we keep conceding all the time? It's a really good question, Kev. And I have to start by saying, I think there's an element of the famous five about how Spurs fans see um, see this current team. That the idea that, or certainly this was the case early in the season. Now, whether it's it's still the case, I'm not sure. But we seem to be, you know, Spurs fans seem perpetually uh, disgruntled. Let's put it that way. Um, with the famous five, with Ozzy Ardiles's famous five strikers, the idea was, yeah, it doesn't matter if we concede two, we'll always score three or four. And, you know, we, we would expect to win games five, four or four, three. And so I think in a, in a strange way, we've, we've psychologically moved from where we were last season that if we conceded first, if we conceded first, you you were having a hard time sort of visualizing how we were going to win that game. Do you know what I mean? No matter who it was against, there was a psychological barrier that came down. Um, whereas now you get the idea that, you know, if we if we concede a goal in the first 10 minutes, we've still got 80 minutes left in which to win the game. It just, the game just gets shorter. But you're absolutely right. I think um, the, the influence of, Poro and Udogi, and you saw it yesterday because they were they were both out together. You know, they're they're they have been our most our most important collective uh, attacking combination this season, which, in a strange way, kind of lets you look the other way to a certain extent about their defensive skills, especially with Romero and Van de Ven there. Uh, Dragason, I I think I have I have huge optimism about but he's still a work in progress um you mentioned vicario i think a lot of uh, other teams seem to have figured out uh, how to put vicario under a lot of pressure under 
uh, in set pieces, and that has clearly uh, been an issue in 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 recent in recent games. Um, but I think there's a sense that going behind or conceding or or you know, especially conceding first, doesn't seem to be the 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 death knell that it used to be for watching the team. Uh, that there was there was a genuine sort of sense of you know how do, how do we get this back how do we you know right the ship um, the, our problem now I think is conceding later in the game after we have after there's been a period where we have taken control of the game again and that is I think where you're talking about the the value of the transition comes in you know uh, I mean you saw it yesterday Basuma uh, uh, Madison and Son all all look out of sorts. And uh, we just we just looked. I only saw the highlights on match of the day, but I, I, we we certainly looked uh, a, a step away uh, from the pace yesterday. But that's not taking anything at all away from Wolves. So I, I from what I saw, were certainly uh, were certainly good value for that win yesterday. But I think the, the the thing that we're worried about is the psychological shift. And I think in a strange way. If you listen to Spurs Twitter, Spurs Twitter are, you know, perpetually disgruntled. And it's, as we know, you know, Twitter is even more rapidly becoming even more disconnected from the real world. Uh, but I think we're in danger of yet again letting the loudest voices dictate the mood music, the overall mood music about what we should be thinking about the team and what we should be expecting of them. And very often the mood overshadows too much debate about the team's performance game to game. So yeah, I think I think there was an issue yesterday with with this was supposed to be the time when we were supposed to make this all click. You know, we were supposed to get the the players back from the overseas tournaments. We were supposed to get Matters and and uh, Mickey Van de Ven back from injury, and. You know, that was supposed to be the, the 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 new resurgence, but the uncertainty, and and obviously you know the uncertainty around where we go from here has just been exacerbated by uh, understandably, completely understandably, by uh, Villa's resurgence and by as we saw today, you know United finally getting themselves back on track as we all we all knew that they would uh, eventually. So. As I say, I, I'm not taking anything away from Wolves yesterday, who I think on on, on what I saw was uh, they were they were good value for the win. But uh, the fact that the fact that there are those gaps in our defence perpetually or you know consistently is something that we need to be worried about and uh, need to be working on the on the training pitch on. But uh, but I think the psychological barrier seems to be falling away. That's the barrier that we had in previous seasons uh, under Conte and Mourinho especially uh, seems to be seems to be falling away a little bit more. Definitely interesting. And you've given me a terrific segue into Thomas uh, and Wolves, who I do think deserve to win. As I think I said at the time of our last match, also deserve to win then. It just stung because it happened so late. But definitely... Uh, deserved the last goal there. Um, but uh, I was curious your perceptions of playing Tottenham Hotspur because as I was driving to uh, the Spurs pub here in Denver, uh, me and my friend that I was going with, were talking about how we hate playing Wolves. It just feels like we never play well, even when we win. <laughs> Wolves just seem to constantly outplay us, regardless of home or away. 
every time we play them. And then my friend pointed out that that's kind of how we feel inversely about City, where everyone else is terrified about City, but we just keep getting results against them anyway. Um, and I think the best logic against City is that we have Sun, who is both one of the faster players in the Premier League and one of the better finishers in the Premier League, and they let us kind of attack the space in behind, which I, I didn't <laughs> obviously uh, notice that we were doing yesterday, but uh, kind of a two-parter for you as well. When you see Spurs as your next match, are you just like, oh yeah, we got this, <laughs> um, given the recent run of results? And secondly, why do you think, despite um, changes in managers year over year, the same we have against City, that you just continually perform well against us? Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's really hard to know because obviously in, in the, well, I think we, I did read somewhere that we'd won, is it four of the last five matches? Uh, um, we've we won against Tottenham. Uh, which is which is obviously a, a phenomenal record considering you know you're one of the top sides and we, we haven't been one of the top sides so um, yeah it's it's a good run but there's no there's no comparison because in that time we both had different managers we both played in in kind of different styles um, you know diff, different makeup of teams so yeah, I think it's just one of those things sometimes you just get a team and you can't you go through a period and it seems you no matter what you do or how you play you can't get the results against them I mean. It's been the same with Wolves, um, with Brighton, you know, we just whatever. There's been this 20-year curse where we just haven't been able to hardly get any wins against them, you know. And they, they've been a very defensive side in the past and we've never been able to break them down. And now they're this free-flowing, you know, Deserby-type football and, and they just always seem to uh, outmaneuver us in, in the game. So it, it just happens sometimes. There's no rhyme or reason for it. Um but you know, I mean, as to the more recent games, but if you if you just reduce it down to the the two games we've had this season, um, you know, the, the game at Molyneux, uh, you you've just gone through that disastrous you know implosion against Chelsea. You had players suspended and injured, left, right, and centre, and and you know uh, you were cobbling a, a team together to come to Molyneux for that game. So you know, and I, and I thought actually you were quite unlucky because you did kind of what you'd expect Tottenham to do there, which was play their football, get ahead and just try to sit on the result, you know, as, as the game played out and you just got undone at the at the end. I mean, yesterday's game, I was nervous about because obviously Mateus Cunha was out for Wolves and he's really been our talisman in, yeah. in recent recent weeks. But then I I did just smirk um, in the in when the news came through that you, you both your fullbacks were out and it just that changed my view of the game. And I just kind of thought, oh, that's that's clipped their wings a little bit. And then I was looking at who was likely to play with those two players out. <laughs> and I was thinking that's a big that's a big change. And so then you're starting to think, well, you know, you've got Emerson Royale, who is mixed at best and has always got a mistake in him. And then you've got Ben Davis, who's, who's kind of he's he's a more steady kind of workhorse up and down. But he's not giving you, you know, the same kind of quality as, as a Poro, you know, that. And and that's that's what happened, you know, because Poster Soglu is not going to change the way he plays. He plays to say, well, you know, we're going to press, we're going to press right up, and we're going to attack and attack and attack. And you're either going to break through us and get us on the counter, or we're going to break you through just sheer weight of numbers. That that's it comes down to, you know, simple as that. And what happened yesterday was um, you you weren't effective enough at overwhelming us. You know, going forward, probably because you didn't have those fullbacks making better passes and getting forward in the same way, and then equally, you know, we were we were getting in uh, at the other end, and we were getting Pedro Neto into the game, and you know, Pedro Neto is probably 
you know, the most informed player in the entire league, isn't he? I mean, pound for pound, I don't think every 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 team we come up against, he just seems to be able to just run their run their defence into the ground, and so. It, it wasn't a massive surprise, really. Um, but uh, I, I was perhaps um, a bit surprised that, that Tottenham weren't able to produce a little bit more um, with, you know, with, with your James Madison. I thought they'd be able to get him into the, some interesting spaces and he'd open us up. Um, and then I was surprised with some of the substitutions from Tottenham as the game went on. Yeah. I mean, Richarlison wasn't having a great game. But then as the game progressed, you were kind of looking at it and thinking, well, if Tottenham are going to score, it's probably going to be a header from across. <laughs> That's exactly and, what we were saying. Yeah, and, and you, you, you take him off. And then at the end, you, it's Ben Davis with the match-saving header to get a point, And he's heading it wide, you know. And you think, well, that's probably the space which Ollison might have been in, you know. So there was some odd, there was some odd things happening in the game. Um, but, um, but no, I mean, you know, it's, uh, you, you just you, you drop lucky in the Premier League or you drop unlucky. And I just think we... I think that bit of luck with both your with both your fullbacks being out, particularly as we're so strong in those areas. Um, I just think on this, you know, that that occasion, it just tipped it in our favour. And um, yeah, it was, a, it was a, it's a big win for Wolves that, particularly having lost to Brentford last week and lost Cunha to a, a bad injury. It seems um, we needed that because we we want to get up into that nice cosy forty plus point barrier and then see if we can push on and, and you know finish in the top half. So um it, it's good for us. It's put it's given us a nice bit of momentum going into some a decent run of home games for us. Yeah, your substitution chat was great. Like I said, that's exactly what everyone was saying was you kept trapping us in the dreaded U shape where we were just surrounding the penalty area with no ideas how to get into it. And we just kept relying on just crosses into the box. And we started doing that after taking off for Charleston to bring on Brennan Johnson and Timo Werner, two of the best runners in the squad who we didn't start, but brought in after you had a 2-1 lead and could stay compact. I, yeah. I really like Antoine Sakaglu. We've said it many times. I think Steve alluded to it there a little bit previously as well. That I... Those were those were some odd substitutions in that one, and especially with especially with yeah. the two week break. Yeah, because we don't yeah. we don't play next week, so like he's had to protect a lot of players. Like Basuma got malaria at, at Afcon. We obviously had both Sar and Son gone for a while. We had Madison injured, Vondavan injured. Everyone's heard about the injury stuff, and I'm sure people are tired of it. But the point is, he's had to be careful with players. To make sure that we aren't overplaying them, to make sure that they they can avoid re-injury. But if there's a match you can push them in with no match next weekend, you'd think it'd be that one. But anyway, enough about that. Wolves were just better against us again, and seemingly always. Although to your point, that can change any time, and then the other team has a run for just as long. But just know that Tottenham Hotspur are largely terrified of Wolves these days. Um, (laughs) Next up, we'll head into Player Watch, where, since I was just kind of talking about injuries, I was curious uh, if there's a player who you think will get to see a significant increase in minutes because maybe a player ahead of them uh, on the team sheet is currently out injured. Well, for Fulham, it's actually been happening, and uh, it involves two players. Uh, The player that's been out for the past few weeks has been Raul Jimenez. So he's been out. So the player to take his place has been Rodrigo Muniz. And in in the last four matches, Muniz has scored four goals. He's been very clinical. A striker that we're still not sure on, but he has stepped up with Jimenez being out. And on top of it, Fulham have a conundrum that I'm going to share with you guys with. 
it involves bringing in Armando Broya on roll on a loan from yeah. Chelsea. They made a specific deal with Chelsea that involves a fee. So he needs to play. He needs to start, I believe, 10 matches in the next 13, Armando mm-hmm. Broya. And if he does not, Fulham owe uh, Chelsea 4 million pounds. If he doesn't, and I'm here to tell you right now, Rodrigo Muniz is going to continue to start. So it gets to the question, what do you do? And I was talking to a supporter about this today. You play Rodrigo Muniz regardless of the fee if he continues to score goals. Why would you make that move just because of financial reasons? I I put out the team that gives you the best chance to win. And right now, it happens to be Muniz. And I... Going back to talking about Jimenez and uh, Thomas and I have talked about Jimenez and he was hoping Jimenez would play well for Fulham. It, it took him a while and he finally got into his groove of Fulham and Fulham, I'm here to tell you, have been the most dangerous when Jimenez has been in there when he works with Pereira and Awobi, like I was talking about the triangles before. And I don't know when Jimenez is going to return, if he's going to return this season. And that's sad because I know that Thomas was hoping that he would have this good season with Fulman. And honestly, it was about to take off in that direction. It really was. Unfortunately, he got injured. And Rodrigo Muniz, thankfully, has picked up the slack. So for me, it's been Rodrigo Muniz. Yeah, the injury situation, I think, as as Kev outlined uh, just in that segue, has eased substantially with us. Um, and obviously, I think, yeah, with yesterday's chaos of having both Poro and uh, Udogi out together, um, you know, Ben Ben Davies always reliable, but and and actually, I have to say, for for Ben, although as Thomas mentioned, he he did miss that potential point-saving header yesterday, but he seems to be responding to to life under Ange, I have to say, and and does slot in whenever we need him. Um, Emerson, again, as Thomas says, always has a mistake in him, but the fact that those are two sort of standard, decent players, but who are like years behind, light years behind the players that they would be replacing just tells you that the the dependence that we have on those two um, uh, on those two uh, uh, wing backs. Um, the the player I think who might get a, a look in now, especially that Alejo Velez is gone, is um, uh, Northern Ireland's own Jamie Donnelly, uh, who's been on the bench for uh, for a few games this season and has has got on a couple of times. I think I'm not I'm not sure of the exact number of games that he's actually appeared in. Um, but there's always that um, that idea of, of of the youngsters who are not out on loan at the moment. Uh, he he could be the um, the one who comes in. But then again, Billy has left. But the arrival of Timo Werner probably put another uh, roadblock in his way to to sort of coming on um, more regularly. But I'm optimistic about all the youngsters, as you and I have talked about uh, in recent weeks, Kev, especially the. Bergval, the, the the new young signings and the 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 
comparatively young average age of the first 11, when you look at our first 11, comparatively speaking, um, especially at the back, I think we're we're in a very good uh, a very good position going forward. It's just a matter of making sure that um, they there's enough games and enough minutes for them all to to share around. Uh, and obviously, exiting the two cup competitions the way we did this season doesn't uh, doesn't help that. So, yeah, I'm I'm big fan of Jamie Donnelly. Hope he gets uh, hope he gets a shot. Yeah, I mean for Wolves, um, obviously. As I alluded to earlier, Matthias Cunha has picked up a hamstring injury and the club are being very coy about how long he's going to be out for. Uh, we wanted to get a striker in in January and that didn't happen. We were in for um, Broja, Breuer, however you say his name, uh, you know, with Fulham right on deadline day and he ended up going there. Um, so we're, we're short at that end of the, the field, but that is potentially going to open it up for, for Ryan Fraser. Um, who's come through our academy? He's a you know local Wolverhampton lad, and um, he looks a very good player. You know, he, he got 45 minutes against Brentford last week. He looks you know strong and physically capable, which is often for for a centre forward coming into the Premier League. Um, you know, it can be hard for them to get into the game if they can't physically look after themselves on the pitch. And but he looks like he's got that in his locker. So I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do. Uh, he's got a very good goal scoring record for our under 23s and um yeah so and and um you know we're, with where we are in the league you know we're not going to go down we're probably not going to threaten the european places i wouldn't have thought but you never know i suppose but it, it's ideal breeding ground now for us to be to be you know getting a player like him and seeing if he can if he can do a bit in the premier league because if you can find these players obviously they're like gold dust you know you don't have to go out and Spend thirty, forty million on a <laughs> on a striker if you can get one of your own doing um, doing a job for you. So yeah, so Nathan Fraser, that might be a name to uh, remember and look out for between now and the end of the season. Yeah, definitely one to keep an eye on there, Thomas. And we'll stick with you as we wrap up with match previews and we'll talk about Wolves as you're going to be hosting Sheffield United. Are you confident heading into that one? Uh, yeah, I mean, well, obviously they're getting. They're sort of getting slapped up by a number of teams. Brighton took them apart today. Um, so, you know, who knows what what their kind of personal situation is going to be like when they arrive at Molyneux next Sunday. Um, they did, of course, beat us at Bramall Lane earlier in the season. Um, and we're, we're decent value for that win, if I'm honest. I think we faded away in that game and we got done by a slightly contentious late penalty. Um, but but you couldn't begrudge them the the win on that occasion. Uh, I'm hoping we're going to have too much for them at home. I mean, they're conceding three, four, five goals on average in a, in a game, and um, you know we're we're not brilliant when we have to take the initiative. We're we're definitely still you know a counter punching team, a team that do well in the transitions. But I would hope, particularly having watched some of that Sheffield United game today, where they just don't seem that good at even just defending the width of their 18 yard box. You know, we at some point we're going to get Neto or Wang. You know, or Sarabia, or one of the fallbacks into those dangerous areas down the sides, and 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 do some damage, and um, hopefully, you know, c- keep them out at the other end. So yes, yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna back us to get a, a win, probably a you know two one three one to Wolves, I'd say. Got it. And then Russ, uh, we'll talk to you now about Manchester United versus Fulham. Obviously, Hoyland has seemingly hit form, which can't be uh, particularly exciting as you're about to face them. No. It certainly is not. It's funny because Fulham played very well at Craven Cottage against Manchester United and lost. 
Now they're going to Old Trafford. And normally, I would tell you I, that Fulham have a chance to get something out of it because they tend to play them tough somewhere through how they play against Liverpool. But matches against Liverpool are tight. Matches against Manchester United tend to be tight as well. Unfortunately for Fulham, uh, Jao Polina will be out for the next two matches. So that makes it very difficult on them. They have one without them. They've figured it out a little bit, but uh, I think it's going to be difficult to go to Old Trafford and um, and get a victory. I, I'd be happy with a point. I think that they still can get a point, but um, it doesn't make it easier with your best player being uh, suspended for the next two games. Not ideal, but if it makes you feel any better, uh, I'm pretty sure, Stephen, I would both love it if you were able to get at least the point, if not all three. So We'll try. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, and I would talk about Tottenham's match, but as I alluded to a little bit earlier, there isn't one. So don't worry about us. Uh, and that'll do it for the show today. So if you guys would like to tell folks where they can find you or anything fun you're working on, now would be a good time. Sure. My name is Russ Goldman. I'm the host of Cottage Talk. And you can follow me on X at Cottage Talk. And also uh, listen to my podcast. Wherever you listen to podcasts, any app that has podcasts, Cottage Talk will be on there. Thanks very much for having me on again, Kev. Another good conversation as always. Uh, my name's Steve McGookin. You can get me on Twitter at Steve McGookin. And you can check out my non-football writing at statesofplayproject.com. And just before I go, for Spurs fans, a quick plug for my friend Rob Kirkpatrick's brand new Spurs substack, which is Great called Up, Upstate Spurs. So uh, just take a take a search for that. Yeah, thanks for having me on again, guys. Um, yeah, you can uh, you can see what's going on at uh, wolvesblog.com if your team's playing Wolves or have played Wolves in the case of uh, <laughs> Steve and uh, and Kev. I'm sure they'll be logging on, on to read all my uh, my thoughts and comments after uh, the, the Spurs game yesterday. And uh, yeah, so uh, there'll be lots of previews coming up. Obviously, for Sheffield United fans, there'll be a preview going up and a report following the the game and some other bits and bobs about what's happening uh, at Wolves between now and the end of the season. So, uh, yeah, so get us on there or you can uh, send me a message on uh, on X um, at Wolves blog. Awesome. Thanks so much to all three of you for coming on today. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. You can find me on Twitter or X uh, at Kevroff. You can find the show at EPL Roundtable. Uh, and as Russ said, you can just look in any of the podcasting places uh, for EPL Roundtable there. Uh, but yeah, again, massive thanks here uh, to Russ and Steve and, of course, Thomas for joining us today. And folks at home, we hope you keep listening. Mm-hmm.